For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. It's the morning show on 95.3 WBCK. And here's Tim Collins. And good morning. A little later in the hour, it'll be our Ask the Expert, Dr. Karen Vlahos of Bronson. Bronson Family Medicine and Marshall talk a little bit about uh, this change of the season. You know, summer comes to the end and school starts up and uh, a lot of our uh, lifestyle changes, including our sleep patterns. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Battle Creek Police Chief Jim Blocker is our guest now. And Chief, good morning to you. Hey, as always, good morning. I uh, couldn't help but notice uh, you and uh, your lovely wife were up in Midland over the weekend for a uh, well, a big presentation of honors to a lot of people from uh, the uh, what is it? The National I'll get this wrong. The National Alliance of Mental Illness. Yes, which, uh, you've yeah. been uh, honored before. Uh, all of a sudden, in order to be a police chief these days, you have to be on top of such things. Well, you do. And I, I think that, uh, one, it was a real honor and a real privilege to be there. Um, uh, it was the local Calhoun County NAMI uh, organization uh, led by Jeannie. Um, uh, it, was, it was a wonderful acknowledgement of the work that we're doing together and jointly, both with, our, with um, Summit Point, our community mental health agency, and the families involved. I, I think uh, no one can dispute that oftentimes at the moment of these crises, whether it's the onset, the beginning, or, or in the middle of a long-term illness and mental illness, um, oftentimes 911 is called and law enforcement arrives. And trying to improve that response and to respond the right way, um, I, I think is exactly where we're all trying to go and we're trying to get better at it. Just ballpark off the top of your head, of all the crimes that uh, your department has to get involved in, you know, what percentage would you say has some degree of mental illness or a mental problem associated with it? Well, thank goodness we've got folks that are a lot smarter than me that are helping us try to better define what that percentage really is. Uh, Wayne State University is working within the county. They've been with us looking at our program and Summit Points programs and, and how they work together. And they're really trying to get a better idea on that number. Um, of course, I would tell you just generally and without a strict definition of of mental illness right from a mm -hmm. clinical perspective i would say well generally when you call 911 you're pretty upset so there's a there's this idea that many calls a higher percentage of calls there's some association with mental illness of some sort but but you know there's there's clearly a difference there and that's what we're trying to define but i think you could probably I think it's safe to say 20, 30% of our calls involve either the onset of mental illness or something that someone has been suffering for some time now. Sure. And, and you know, again, going back to the definition, it could also just be drug problems. It could be uh, a family dispute that is elevated to such rage that uh, it kind of is like mental illness. Uh, so 
really there it, it is hard to pinpoint but it's good that police departments are becoming more and more informed and more and more educated in all the facets of it well and i think families and those that are you know afflicted with it have been suffering in silence for too long and and whether addiction as you mentioned or otherwise i mean they're, they're all signs of some form of mental illness and and you know I can't tell you the number of times, and I know you know this, is that when someone has knee surgery or they have a scar or whatever, they'll tell you about it, right? Sometimes they'll tell you about it and you didn't even ask. <laughs> but, but that's not the same thing when it comes to mental illness. And so trying to break through that, that's, that wall of silence and the stigma and, and to say, hey, it's okay to say it. If we all know in the room that that's a challenge that you have, we can actually relate with you and, and deal with the situation in a much better way. And that's clearly where we're trying to go as a profession. Now, you were honored at this gathering, uh, but you were also a guest speaker. What was your message? Well, no, I wasn't a guest speaker. Oh, but, I misunderstood. But, that. but but we had an opportunity to speak. Matter of fact, we were encouraged to speak. Um, but it, I really just shared a story, um, and the same one I've sh I've shared here before, where where officers did end up witnessing a young man uh, commit suicide. Although they had tried every single thing to try to get him to put that firearm down, and it was at that moment when I walked among the officers, I realized, you know, trauma goes both ways. Mm. I had a number of young officers looking at me with that that thousand yards stare it's like chief what did i just see and you know no one prepared me for this moment and i think it was a it was a, it was eye-opening for me and i realized that not only do we need to get better at our response but we also need to get better at our being responsive to the folks that have to see this and deal with this work every single day and and uh, i'm grateful that the commission and the city leadership is has um, encouraged us to continue to look for new programs like brain health and, and our work with Pine Rest and, and our chaplaincy program. And whatever we can do to continually work with our folks that have to respond to trauma daily, that's certainly something we owe them. Seems like a, there was a lot of talk maybe a year or so ago that uh, we ought to be hauling social workers out of their homes to go to some of these incidents, uh, domestic disputes and other types of things. Uh, and you know all i can say is while they may have some expertise to help in that situation they sure aren't the people you want in the line of fire when people are out of their minds um has that sort of rhetoric sort of died down a little bit or is there still a call for people to bring social workers out for these types of incidents well i think ideally you only want mental health professionals to respond to mental health crises. I think that just makes sense. And any more that you only want a heart surgeon to work on your heart. Of course, that is the ideal. But when it comes to our 911 infrastructure, when it comes to just the way we do things and has, have always done things, when it comes to that moment of complete crisis, when, and again, this is a, a silent suffering illness, right? Mm -hmm. People don't know. 911 will automatically get called. So it's almost, it's unrealistic to think that at some point, law enforcement won't be an initial response. I think the key to that is, and so some folks think, no, law enforcement should never really respond because if, if the response is poor, they will never call again, and then they will continue to suffer in silence. If, if of course, law enforcement doesn't respond and mental health professionals do and everything works out great, but then there's risk associated with that decision as mm -hmm. well. And so here's the power of the and is, is I think we can try to meet in the middle somewhere. Every community has their own resources and capability. And, and if we can try to meet in the middle and send folks that understand what they're now seeing, understand that 
what I'm seeing is not a criminal outburst, but maybe um, an act of mental decompensation right in front of their eyes, I think then they can call in the necessary professionals of which they've developed a relationship with and respond appropriately. And, and that's really the key because, you know, uh, the families, they deserve it. And we owe it to them as a community. But I, I got to think one of the main variables is time and, re- and response, you know, uh, in order to bring a mental health professional in. Sometimes it, it may be in just an immediate need. We need to get somebody there right now and, and try to talk to this person. And that could take an hour or two, depending on how far they have to come or whether you can get a hold of them. It depends on the community. I think here we're getting a lot better. But remember, our infrastructure, the way we're designed, is we're 24-7 every single day. But many of our, our social service agencies and our, and our providers of care are typically daylight operating um, operations Monday through Friday. And so it's going to require significant change in how they do things. Now, mental health does have 24-hour response. Uh, they do have a, a crisis workers either by phone that will get there uh, but but then again it's delayed and, and again I'm trying to s- talk about really the entire state and country and region some places it's much better and and that's what we're all talking about right now and that's the power of our fusion center in the community is we've created the system and the place and the process to start the conversation and improve the way we respond it's a constant uh, uh, education, I guess, for all police departments now to, to, you know, go through training and then be able to back that up and say, yeah, we've got the training. Here's here's what we've done to prove it. Yeah, it is. I, I, I think uh, being now uh, the board chair of our state accreditation agency for law enforcement, I, I think it's put... Uh, put us in a wonderful position as a state to where, uh, and it's a wonderful position because of the sheer number of agencies that want to be involved. And it, it's really what it does is it gives you an opportunity to take an honest look at your policies, your procedures, and say, hey, do these meet the national standard? Are these within the confines of the law and the Constitution? And um, I think the better off and the more professional you are, I think the better job you're doing, not just protecting your officers that are doing the work, but but the community itself. But communities are certainly asking more and more and more of their officers and their departments. In fact, that's true of our job here, you know. And, you know, we used to just talk on the microphone and you know, make sure the FCC was happy with how we were complying with regulations. But now we're also uh, Internet writers, social media editors, uh, headline writers, photographers. I mean, on and on and on. Every job seems to be expanding. That's certainly true of law enforcement. Yeah, the men and women that do do this job, we're we're there to fully support the law the communities have given us, and so we're at a time where we need to do a. I think we we're at a time where an honest conversation between the community and the and the politicians and the folks that they've got in office, uh, we need to have an honest discussion on where do you want us to go and what do you want us to enforce, um, and and I think that's important, and you're seeing that across the country, because they'll do we will do whatever we're asked to do. And if you don't want it done, then maybe we need to take that off the books. Back before the pandemic, there was an incident in Battle Creek where a Battle Creek officer was shot. And uh, now that's finally going to trial, I believe, today. When we come back, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about that trial here. Chief Jim Blocker is with us. Battle Creek Police Chief Jim Blocker is with us. Uh, we've been uh, reporting in the news this morning, the trial getting underway in the uh, the trial of Andre Yarborough, accused of shooting Officer Johnson uh, almost fatally. This was back in 2019. 
Uh, and yesterday, the judge ruling that uh, the confession by our Baroto officers is just fine. Um, that's got to be tough. Uh, you know, you try to observe every single uh, requirement that the law has you do, uh, Miranda rights and such. Uh, what was the case here? Well, I think clearly, um, let me at least start out by saying, you know, a trial like this, what it does is it brings it all back home again. You know, the last um, year, year and a half or so, the officer has spent recovering. He and his family recovering from the trauma, uh, trying to get back into uniform. Anybody that's had a traumatic event, anyone that's had a serious accident, we all know what that feels like when you get in that car for the first time and you leave your driveway. It's intimidating. And to think that this isn't also difficult for the officer and their family, I think we have to bring that to the forefront of the discussion and and really for the entire room, the entire building, our home. Um, this week is going to expose it all and it's going to be an arena. You know, this is where we battle it out. Uh, this is where emotions have to be kept intact. This is where we have to remain professional because it's going to be basically, uh, there were only so many actors there at the time that know the full truth. And now it's a matter of trying to wrangle through our legal process and what's allowed to be discussed and what isn't, uh, and to see what the end result will be. We, we certainly hope it's justice and it's, we, we hope it's the, the kind of justice we think it should be uh, but at the end of the day uh, we have to accept what what it is and that's the tough part and uh, so this is going to be a tough week for our team and certainly for the Johnson family and so um, that's one thing we don't want to keep uplifted this week how is uh, officer Johnson doing he's doing much better I tell you what I I'm always proud of someone that can go through something like that and uh, be able to come right back to work you know of course after therapy and after an ongoing therapy which is painful itself um, and uh, so the fact that he's been in our building, he has been working, he has been a contributor uh, at the Fusion Center, I think has been in- incredible. Uh, but again, this week's going to be a long and tough week for them all. It's got to be difficult. I mean, I mean, I'm I'm thinking about a baseball player who takes a shot to the head, uh, uh, you know, a bean ball, and and some never are able to go back and play again after that. Uh, is that a fair analogy or is it just is it too different well i think you know i think these things are so traumatic they're so violent you know just think about it saturday night two chicago officers made a traffic stop right uh, one of them a female uh, ella french was her name she'd only been uh, an officer for three years uh, i believe she's only about 27 years old she and her partner made a traffic stop. Well, she lost her life. She didn't. That was the last day for her, and her partner's fighting for his. And I think that's the that's the reality that sometimes we have to deal with. We just don't know. I think way back to Grand Haven. I mean, think about it, Grand Haven, Michigan. A guy by a young officer by the name of Scott Flayhive oh. made a traffic stop at I think it was about seven in the morning, at seven a.m. in the morning. He had no idea that the that the driver of the vehicle had just committed a, a violent crime, had a firearm, uh, fired one shot, and uh, Scott died about four minutes later. I think that's the that's the tough part for the profession. That's the raw reality of it all. And I think when you ask, you know, um, you know, what's it like? It's hard to describe that. The uh, report that we had this morning said uh, a canine actually uh, figured into the uh, apprehension of the suspect in this case. My thought was I'm glad they didn't send a social worker and that they sent a canine in there for 
for that particular thing but uh that was pretty integral part of the arrest well it was of course you know we you know there there's a time and a place for our response and who's there and uh you know that's one of the benefits of our canine program we have a we have a phenomenal program uh they continually uh, get recognized for the hard work that they do with those with those dogs and um and um, that of course is clearly something that that's a risk that we do and uh, sometimes you're right it's it's not a you know as you described it it's sometimes better to send in a canine than it is an officer because the canine can get places can see things smell things and know where things are at uh far more than we can and i i think that's a wonderful tool to use in situations like this sure instead of going in there dark you you get some intel uh provided by the animal and and then you can proceed in a lot more safe manner that's right yeah chief blocker thanks for your time this morning we appreciate it we'll see you again next month if not before yes sir good to be here have a good day for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.